Since the Taliban took control of Afghanistan earlier this month, its economy has effectively collapsed. In Kabul, the country's capital, it's becoming hard to buy basic necessities. So a lot of the important items are disappearing. The prices for the basic staples like wheat, like cooking oil, have gone up significantly, 50% or more, according to the residents. And that is putting additional strains at a time when you know, there's no income. Yaroslav Trofimov is the Wall Street Journal's chief foreign affairs correspondent. He was in Kabul when it fell to the Taliban. Since then, imports slowed to a trickle. Most airports stopped operating, many land borders closed, and the banking system placed strict limits on how much money people could withdraw. People who have money in the bank cannot get money out of the bank. People who have been paid salaries no longer receive salaries. And the lucky few who are able to withdraw some money are hoarding it because they are thinking about possibly leaving the country. There's no investment. A large part of the business community has fled the country. The economic freefall is a crisis for the Afghan people and for the Taliban. The threat to them is that if the economy continues its freefall, they will have to deal with the discontent of the population. And that will be the biggest challenge to their their rule. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Ryan Knudsen. It's Friday, August 27th. Coming up on the show, how the Taliban broke Afghanistan's economy and why it'll be so hard to fix. Don't you wish your life came with a warning app? That dog does not want to be petted. (laughs) Well, life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome, but prediabetes does. Take the one-minute test today at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its prediabetes awareness partners. The Taliban's recent takeover has wreaked havoc on Afghanistan's economy. But 25 years ago, when the Taliban first came to power, it had the opposite effect. The country had been ravaged by years of war. So when the Taliban took over, it actually created economic stability. They were backed by a lot of the merchants, the bazaaris, the traders, as a force that could restore order. And at the time, Afghanistan was in the middle of a civil war with multiple factions and warlords, you know, shelling cities, fighting each other. You know, the roads were studded by checkpoints where you know, all trade was uh, heavily taxed uh, by warlords. So what the Taliban did when they swept the country, they removed the checkpoints, they opened the roads uh, to trade, and they were welcomed for the sort of restored security and restored economic activity. While the Taliban helped bring economic order at the time, its record on human rights, especially for women, brought international condemnation. And the Taliban's harboring of terrorists led to the U.S. invasion after 9-11, which transformed Afghanistan's economy even further. Well, the U.S. invasion came a massive infusion of money into the country, you know. Also, there was a return of a large part of the diaspora. People who had fled, you know, decades of war in Afghanistan came back from America, from other countries. And the presence, the sheer presence of hundreds of thousands of foreign troops just created a cultural change. So Afghanistan was brought into the modern world People got access to satellite TV, people were watching Turkish soap operas, Uh, people were uh, 
getting the news on mobile phones so the country was no longer isolated from the world the way it had been for a long time before. The transformation was biggest in Kabul. When U.S. troops arrived, it was a city in rubble. It was a small town, maybe about you know three, 400,000 people there. There was one phone line connecting into the outside world, and I've got to line up in the post office for like five minutes of conversation time. It was really isolated from the rest of the world and in a different age. Now it's one vibrant city, you know, a big capital, you know, 10, 15 times larger than it used to be, a city uh, of new housing developments, a city of several universities. So it's a completely different world. This new world for Afghanistan was built on massive amounts of foreign aid, which the Afghan economy began to heavily rely on in the following two decades. By 2020, foreign aid made up 43% of Afghanistan's economy, according to the World Bank. The aid paid the salaries of the country's security forces, played a big role in delivering health care, and created economic stability. The economy was growing, but foreign aid was a major component. Not a lot of it was sustainable. But after the Taliban marched into Kabul two weeks ago, international aid stopped, and most of the government's cash reserves, which had been held overseas, were frozen. Why are all these assets frozen, and and why is all this aid being cut off? Are these the result of new sanctions on Afghanistan? The Taliban have been under international sanctions for decades. And now that the Taliban are in charge, the sanctions will apply to them. That is the reason why the U.S. stopped the shipment of dollars. That's why the Treasury uh, froze the accounts of the Afghan Central Bank. And that's why the World Bank and the International Monetary Fund are spending now all the programs uh, in Afghanistan. So these aren't new sanctions that the U.S. and other countries have imposed. These sanctions have always been in place on the Taliban, but just since the Taliban took over, now they apply to the whole country. Exactly, exactly. So, so these sanctions were imposed on the Taliban. The Taliban now control the Afghan government. Therefore, the Afghan government and its activities increasingly fall under the scope of the sanctions. Without the foreign aid and with the central bank's assets frozen overseas, Afghanistan's financial system seized up and the economy collapsed in a matter of days which is very different from the last time the Taliban took over 25 years ago. Instead of bringing prosperity, they are destroying the foundations of the Afghan economy that has changed so much and that can't really function in this modern world while being isolated from it. What the Taliban are trying to do to reverse the country's economic collapse, that's after the break. Don't you wish your life came with a warning app? That dog does not want to be petted. (laughs) Well, life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome, but prediabetes does. Take the one-minute test today at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its prediabetes awareness partners. You said that instead of bringing order like they did in 1996, the Taliban is now bringing economic chaos. Mm -hmm. So how does that make it more difficult for the Taliban to govern the country? Well, it makes it much, much, much more difficult because, uh, you know, as prices rise, as people do not have access to banks, uh, but now a lot of the uh, urban population, especially in cities like Kabul, Kandahar, you know, they have been paid their salaries through the banking system. That's where the savings were. And a lot of them weren't uh, provident enough to withdraw their cash when they could still could in the days before the, the collapse of the Afghan Republic. So uh, 
there is a lot of economic pain now uh, associated with this takeover by the Taliban. And as it spreads, and if there is no quick restoration of international aid in access to the global financial system, uh, then it, was, it certainly will undermine their ability to rule going forward and create challenges for them. Did the Taliban expect the country's economy to come to this sort of paralysis when it was plotting its takeover? I think the Taliban didn't expect this to go this way. The Taliban, you know, keep saying that you know it's very important for us to have aid continuing to flow. Obviously, they would like to get the money, but if they face the choice of international aid uh, or power, obviously they would choose power, and that's what they did. So, what is the Taliban's plan? to reinstate a functioning government and economy now? Well, the Taliban are always very vague about their plans. And whenever they were asked for the blueprint of how will you govern, they would never provide details. They would say, well, we want to create a just and Islamic system. What does it mean? Well, no, it's not time to talk about it. They made a statement a couple of days ago uh, saying, yes, we will, you know, the banks will reopen, you know, everybody should, you know, we'll have prosperity and we'll pay all the salaries. But they're very short in details, uh, in part because they're very short in expertise. Why are they so short on expertise? Well, it's an insurgent movement that uh, was fighting a rural guerrilla campaign for the last 20 years. You know, its leadership uh, was targeted by drone strikes. And, and not a lot is known about who is who beyond the, the, the sort of the political echelon and some of the other top commanders. You know, they named uh, a new governor of the Central Bank. And yet, nobody knows who he is, except he was a member of their, you know, economic commission. Yaroslav says that the Taliban want to be internationally recognized and to get that foreign aid flowing again. And one way the Taliban might be able to do that would be to form a coalition government with people like former Afghan President Hamid Karzai and other internationally respected leaders. The Taliban figure that uh, if they can get these people on board, then they can present a government that would have this facade that is internationally acceptable and would avoid U.S. sanctions and would allow them to tap the international aid once again. Now, uh, will they be ready to sacrifice a large chunk of political power uh, for that, that remains to be seen because they obviously have other pressures. They have pressures from their own fighters who are saying, you know, we fought 20 years against those, you know, servants of the infidels. And now that we have power, why should we compromise? Why should we share it with them? It seems like the Taliban are going to face a very difficult political situation at home if there are people who don't want to live under Taliban rule. And then there are Taliban fighters who don't even necessarily want to engage with the international community because, as you were saying before, they had been fighting these infidels. Why sort of work with them now? There's going to be a lot of different forces that the Taliban is going to have to compete with to try to bring stability. Well, yes, it's never easy to transition from a guerrilla force to a government. All of a sudden, it's the Taliban who are now responsible, you know, for fixing sewage and providing electricity and and dealing with all the other million problems that the government faces. And the question is, how will they deal with discontent? And so far, they've shown to be quite able to just resort to violence. You know, when there were protests in the first days of the rule, they just shot into the crowds. So uh, they are trying to 
maintain a more gentle face for now as they negotiate recognition and as the American forces still there. But if they are in a crisis, we could expect really harsh and deadly uh, repression by them because they have shown in the past they're quite capable of that. Do you think there's any chance that international countries like the U.S. will recognize the Taliban as a legitimate government? No, they won't recognize the Taliban as a legitimate government if it's just the Taliban. It all depends on what other political forces they can bring into the package and how acceptable this face of the new regime will be. On Thursday, an attack at the Kabul airport killed at least 13 U.S. soldiers and around 200 Afghans as thousands of people were scrambling to get out of the country. Islamic State, a long-standing enemy of the Taliban, claimed responsibility, a stark reminder of the precarious situation the country's still in. So what do you think the future holds for Afghanistan? Well, it depends whether the Taliban... They're facing a fork in the road now. One option for them is to engage in an inclusive form of government, bringing in the political enemies and having a government that is acceptable to the world. And if they fail in that, then the other option for them is to crack down on opposition and have a really dark and repressive regime that will bring us back to the worst days uh, of the Taliban rule in the 1990s, where the only allies that they would have would be international terrorist organizations. Which, which outcome do you think at this point is more likely? It's really hard to judge. It's really hard to judge what the Taliban intentions are because they're very good at deceiving the world, you know, as we have seen in the last few weeks. I mean, they did promise that they will not take the cities and then they took the cities. They did promise they will not take Kabul. They did take Kabul. So uh, right now, uh, they're still saying all the things that the international community wants to hear. To what extent they mean it, we'll see it once the U.S. forces leave the country. That's all for today, Friday, August 27th. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and the Wall Street Journal. Your hosts are Kate Leinbaugh and me, Ryan Knudsen. The show is produced by Priscilla Alabi, Catherine Brewer, Pia Gadkari, Martin Kessler, Annie Minoff, Laura Morris, Afif Nasuli, Ricky Nevetsky, Enrique Perez de la Rosa, Sarah Platt, Willa Rubin, Matthew Sherman, Matthew Schiltz, and Annie Rose Strasser. Our engineers are Griffin Tanner, Nathan Singapak, and Sam Baer. Our theme music is by So Wiley. Additional music this week from Peter Leonard, Billy Libby, Bobby Lord, Emma Munger, So Wiley, and Blue Dot Sessions. Fact-checking by Nicole Pasolka. Thanks for listening. See you Monday.